Welcome to The Cutting Floor, a weekly podcast of West Cannon Baptist Church. Each week we'll be looking at topics and questions coming from the Sunday morning sermon passage that didn't make it into the sermon or were worth looking at further. In other words, what was left on the cutting floor. I'm Emily and with me is Pastor Zach. This week, Pastor Wes continued our Christmas Advent series on joy. How can the Christmas story provide joy in the busy holiday season? I appreciate Wes's reminder to us that joy is not something that's dependent on our circumstances. And I think the holidays, Christmas time, New Year's, really any any holiday season, but particularly uh, in, in this stretch of holidays that we're in, can be really difficult for people for a number of reasons. One is the obvious busyness of the season, all of the shopping and all of the activities, the family events that are going on, a lot of travel, and it, it can really quickly become consuming uh, to where you get to the end of these next couple of weeks and you're sort of dragging and just thankful it's over and need a little bit of time to recover from what is supposed to be a joy-filled season as is instead more of a stress and anxiety-inducing uh, season. And then also there are so many people for whom the holidays is a time of deep sorrow over people who they have lost. Um, Recollecting and remembering holidays past with loved ones who are no longer with us, it's such a challenging time emotionally for so many different people. And so if the joy of this season is dependent upon the circumstances that we find ourselves in, it's hard to really envision how the Christmas season can be described as joyful. Uh, But as Wes reminded us on Sunday, the reality of joy for the Christian comes through our fellowship with God, that in God's presence is fullness of joy. And the great news of Christmas is that we who were formerly alienated from God's presence have now been renewed and drawn back into God's presence by God coming to dwell among man in the person of Jesus Christ. And that as a result of this Emmanuel, God with us, we now have an enduring joy, despite whatever the reality of our circumstances might be, something that's deeper than merely a surface-level emotive response to what's going on in our lives. We have a a lasting joy uh, knowing that in Christ we are redeemed, restored, forgiven, and that that now propels us in hope, not only in this season, but for the rest of our lives. And, um, And so even in this time in which there's often a lot of difficult and mixed emotions, Christians have a deep-seated joy uh, that can't be rattled uh, no matter what's happening in our lives or in our world. Is there any danger in adding to the Christmas story, such as saying that there were three magi? You know, I think we um, need to be careful at times with how our own traditions or the traditional ways in which certain stories have been told or rendered that depart in certain details from the Christmas story. Uh, those can those can begin to, because they've been so often rehearsed in our minds or in our families, they can become almost as though they are true in and of themselves and remind ourselves that some of these depictions that we see are artistic renderings of things or are trying to capture some elements of the story with some kind of representation. So, for example, the three wise men, we're not exactly told how many wise men there are. It's often also the case that as you're driving by a nativity scene, you'll see the manger there set up and the Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And then there's also the three wise men that are standing there when in reality the wise men don't come till much later. And there's also a lot about the whole 
uh, introduction of the wise men into Bethlehem that we don't talk about at Christmas because, you know, Herod killing all of the babies in Bethlehem isn't anything anyone's going to put up in a live nativity scene. Um, so I, I think as we th- as we retell the biblical story t- uh, to our children particularly, it's important that we try to use language that the Bible uses and to depict the events as the Bible depicts it happening. In reality, for example, the coming of the wise men, uh, this is a part of the the way in which God will fulfill the prophecy to send his son and then bring his son back out of Egypt. Also, the suffering that will happen in the region of Bethlehem. And so their distinct timeline that is different than the timeline of the shepherds who are there to witness the event of the birth that night, um, it's important in the story. and We shouldn't lose that by adding to or taking away from the Christmas narrative. So I think it is important to renew our memory of what the true Christmas story is as revealed in the Gospels. Should Christians participate in holiday traditions with pagan roots, such as a Christmas tree? You know, it's it's fascinating if you sort of study the history of how Christmas trees became a thing. There's really a number of different theories about how Christmas trees became such an integral part of Christmas tradition in the West, but not a clear consensus about how we got to this point. The, the, the probably most well-attested historical uh, trajectory of these trees goes back to some Germanic roots um, and some Norse traditions, so kind of uh, some European backgrounds. And from the best that we can understand, there was a practice in Germany of um, harvesting these trees and setting them up somewhere in the middle of either the city center or of a home or a, a, a kind of a collective gathering place. And th- often that tree was connected with the worship of some of the cult fertility gods uh, in the region. And so in order to bless the people of the town or the home with children or in order to ensure that their crops would come in the next year, they would cut down these trees and then worship the druids or the spirits that they believed were in these trees. Um, And often they would hang idols on the trees as a way of decorating and commemorating these, uh, the worship of these pagan fertility gods. That being said, we are so far removed from any cultural understanding of that connection to those sort of pagan objects of worship. And in fact, the history is, is unclear in and of itself of, of, of the connection between those traditions and then the later Christmas trees. That I think we are safe to practice those things without the cultic associations. So in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is discussing with those uh, in Corinth about whether or not to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols, meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And, and Paul acknowledges that we know that the idols in and of themselves are nothing. They're, they're just wood and stone carvings. There's no actual spiritual significance to them in and of themselves. However, if mature believers who understand that the idol is nothing eat meat that was sacrificed to idols and a less mature believer sees that and it wounds their conscience. In other words, maybe they were just saved out of the cult uh, that was there in Corinth. And so they feel as though there is some sort of spiritual significance still in what was offered to idols and that a Christian shouldn't eat it. Well, then that weaker Christian's conscience might be offended uh, by what the more mature brother or sister is doing by eating that meat. And so Paul recommends to the more mature believers, abstain from eating meat that's offered to idols if it is going to affect 
the consciences of, of other believers. If we were to apply that standard of Christian liberty to this circumstance, I don't think we have to worry about wounding the conscience of another brother or sister, because again, the cultic connotations or the pagan roots from a Christmas tree are so far back in history that our current culture has no connection between a Christmas tree and celebration of pagan deities. And so I I don't think that we're in any spiritual jeopardy or placing a brother or sister in spiritual jeopardy uh, by having Christmas trees in our home. Is it wise for parents to allow or even encourage their kids to believe in Santa Claus? I think this is a really challenging question. I know it's one that a lot of people have very strong feelings on. I think, again, this fits in the category of a Christian liberty. And so we need to recognize that, uh, again, people with different consciences on these issues um, should be able to work those out in a way um, that doesn't jeopardize their own conscience and their understanding of the scriptures, and that we should not judge those who have a conscience uh, that is different than ours on these matters that are, again, not black and white. There's not a clear prohibition in scripture against these kind of things. I do think, however, there are some important ways that we need to think about, uh, particularly parents, how they think about speaking of uh, the Santa Claus tradition with their children if they decide to do so. Um, A couple of issues that I think parents need to think through. Number one, I don't think it is wise or or good uh, for parents to portray the Santa narrative in a way that requires them to lie to their children. Uh, If you are violating the commandment, thou shalt not lie, in uh, promulgating a story to your children that you know is not true, um, that is something that Christian parents should, should not do. Um, particularly uh, given the fact that that deception would, in most cases, be perpetrated for uh, a number of years. This isn't simply a prank that somebody is doing and then immediately informs the person uh, of the fact that they were fooling them. Uh, This would be a kind of sustained deception over some formative years of a child's upbringing. Parents oughtn't to lie to their children. We're under an obligation of the truth. So I think if, if we present the Santa Claus narrative in a way that is clearly fictional in the same way that when I read the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, to my children, they understand that I'm not providing them a story that I am presenting to them as true <clears throat> historical events, but instead it is a, a work of fiction. Um, I think if we do the same thing with the Santa Claus story, then it's a harmless story for the most part in and of itself. Another thing that I think parents need to be cognizant of is that there are elements of the Santa Claus kind of myth that are problematic. So this idea that he um, watches you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. This idea that's, that Santa is in some way omniscient and omnipresent is, um, these are attributes that we need to reserve in our children's mind for belonging to God alone. Their parents don't have the ability to know everything that their child is thinking and doing. No other person does. This jolly man in a red suit does not have that ability either. That's something that's reserved for God alone. But then the other other part that I think is difficult about the Santa narrative is this idea that um, naughty or nice, you know, that he knows your behavior throughout the year on the basis of whether or not you've been naughty or nice you're either going to be rewarded with presents or you're going to get coal in your stockings or not get anything, whatever it is. When we compare that with the actual gospel story at Christmas, we see that is about as antithetical to 
the true reality of what Christ has done for us as you could get. Christ doesn't come to redeem us on the basis of our merits. He doesn't give us the most profound gift at Christmas uh, because we have been nice. In fact, he comes expressly because we have no merit of ourselves. So Christ's coming is on the basis of our unrighteousness that he then offers to exchange with his perfect righteousness in his finished work on the cross. That's the whole basis for Christ's coming. And so if we establish a trajectory for Christmas in our children's mind that immediately connects them to this legalistic framework of, I need to do good things in order to get the rewards that I want, we are reframing the whole the whole narrative uh, of the reality of Christ's coming in a way that's going to be more difficult to unpack uh, later on. So I think we need to be mindful of that. And then the final thing I'll say is we need to be careful also as parents not to put anything in competition with telling our children the true story of the birth of Jesus Christ, which is a story that is more profound and stranger and more beautiful and wonderful than any fiction that we could ever write. When you think about the fact of God the Son coming in human form, being witnessed by angels, witnessed by shepherds, being hailed eventually by wise men, this is something uh, that is more incredible than fiction. And we should be careful not to set up any other narrative as competitive in either our children's minds or in their hearts that would distract them from the true meaning of Christmas. So I think Christian liberty is at play here. Discernment is necessary. But if we choose to share something like the Santa Claus myth with our children, we need to do so in a way that is truthful, that makes clear that this is fiction, and that I think strips away some of the unwholesome or un- Christian elements of the Santa Claus myth in a way that doesn't confuse our children when we when we are trying to explain to them what the true meaning and gift of Christmas really is, which is our necessity for Christ. We are going to be taking a break for the holidays next week, and we'll pick back up again on January 3. Merry Christmas! If you have any questions from the sermon or the sermon passage that you would like to have answered on the podcast, please email them by 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning to questions at westcanon.org. We'll see you next week.